us that um, there was 37 references to the word bless in that, that prayer. And it, fantastic. Uh, what do I do with my Bible? Here it is. Okay. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Greg, one of the pastors here, and it's been a while since I've had the privilege of being up front. I consider it an incredible privilege and honor. So um, I'm going to assume that in this room there are lots of Nuggets fans. Maybe? Maybe? Oh, that was like... (laughs) Um, What's interesting is that um, if so, maybe you heard this or heard about this, but the very first NBA Finals game that the Nuggets hosted, um, during the third quarter, I believe it was, a, it was a live kind of interview that Stephen A. Smith had with Peyton Manning. Somehow he pulled him away from his front row seat, which cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, which was an infinitesimal small amount of his net worth. But nevertheless, brought him into maybe a studio or something like that within a ball arena, and he interviewed them, him. And what is interesting is that he asked him about a couple different things, but he said, let me ask you about your Broncos. Now, the important thing wasn't necessarily about what his answer was, but more so what it represented. It's just something that the evidence is overwhelming that Peyton Manning is a Bronco. Through and through, He is a Bronco. I mean, when he became a Bronco, he began to really hope that the Broncos would succeed. His identity was wrapped up as a Bronco. His purpose was wrapped up in helping them win, and he continues to do that. You might even say he embraced Bronco identity. You see... What you got to understand is that his heart and mind was transformed. He was delivered from the domain of darkness of the Indianapolis Colts <laughs> and transferred into the kingdom, into Broncos country, okay? The reason I say this is you think about this for a moment. It parallels exactly what has taken place in our lives if we've embraced Christ. There's an aspect of where we put to death the old self. And there's a time in which all that paraphernalia from the, the Broncos need to be set aside and to put on, I'm sorry, from the Colts, and put on the Broncos. That's what he did. And so he lives that way. And if you hear him, you can understand his emotions, his thoughts, his desires, is about being a bronco. And that's what we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you where we are in our study of the book of Colossians. We're coming up to chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. And in this, this is essentially the big idea. It's how to live a raised with Christ life. Because that's who we are. Now, what has taken place up to this point is that in chapters 1 and 2 and even this first portion of chapter 3, it's all about what we believe. And you see, what's really true is that how we behave is a product of what we truly believe, not necessarily what we 
what we say, what's in our heads, but really what encompasses who we are. Down deep inside, what we believe impacts greatly how we behave. And so there's a transition that's going to take place in this passage. We're moving from this whole idea that, that Paul is emphasizing about what we need to believe about the gospel and therefore how then we must behave. Now, if you've been paying attention to this, this study, then you've, you've noticed that in chapter 2, there's a lot of behaviors in there. There's this emphasis about how the Colossians have, have been tempted to say it's very important what we eat and what we drink, about honoring and, and observing festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. But that's not the behavior we're talking about in chapter 3. See, chapter 3 are behaviors that are because we've been justified, because we have been qualified, because we have been raised with Christ. All that stuff in chapter 2 is really an effort by some who have not fully embraced the gospel or are tempted to set it aside and wanting to add more to it in order to be justified. But see, what's happening is that Paul comes back over and over again to say this. Chapter 1, 5 through, through 20, or 15, 15 through 20, he's saying, no, no, no. You see who Jesus is. He is greater than all things, right? He is the image of the invisible God. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is superior. And because of that, he is sufficient. We sang earlier this lyric in the so take, if we could, put it up on the screen. We sang in a song right before, um, right before this. We sang, it's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. That captures chapter 1 and 2. We can't add to it. What he's done is sufficient. And so we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's who we are. And so that's why we come to chapter 3. If you would like, please grab your Bibles. I'm going to read chapter 3, 1 through 4, because it's a transition. It was spoken of last week. Um, Sean shared last week and ended with verse 4. But let me just read it again. Because he reminds us once again, if then... And if you're a follower of Christ, you can say because or since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are, are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so what we're going to focus on today, verses 5 through 17, are in response to that. That's why there's a therefore coming up really soon. So let's read. Again, if you've got your Bible, please, let's read together. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, 
But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving others as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were all called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful for the songs that we have sung already today. The declaration, Father, that we belong to you because of what your son Jesus has done for us. He is our hope. And he's done that work, completed that work. We're grateful, Father, that it's not up to us, that we don't have to try to earn something to measure up. We give you praise, Father, for your son, We give you praise that he has done the work for us. And Father, because of that, because of where we are, seated with Christ, holding blameless before you, given new life in you, God, help us today to live for you to set aside those things, to put to death those things and put on Christ-likeness. To honor you, God, with our lives. Giving thanks, God, to you for all that you've done. I ask, God, on behalf of Redemption Church, for everyone sitting in this room right now, because of the promise and we, the knowledge, God, that we know the Holy Spirit resides in everyone who belongs to you, that your spirit would have free reign in hearts and minds today. And I'm going to ask all of you, would you just pray? Would you ask God, please help me to hear that one thing that you want me to hear today, to believe it, to embrace it, to respond to it, as you desire. So please pray for yourself for that to that end.
And Father, I just ask you to help me be faithful to your word, to express, God, what you've laid on my heart out of your word, God, for this body. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Three points to this message. The first one is put to death. So let's look at verse 5, okay? It says basically this, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he's going to give a a long list. And so the reality is that we're going to spend some time looking at this list, and it it might be a little bit kind of, it feels like I'm just going through a list. But let's take a look at it more closely. Because I want you to see kind of the flow of thought that, that Paul has here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now let's skip down to verse 8. But now you must put them all away. And then he says in verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So if you're looking at your Bible now, take a look up on the screen. Let's go to the next, next slide. I'm going to show you something. Because there's seemingly a contradiction that's taking place. Notice what he says again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Verse 8, now you must put them all away. And then he says, seeing that you've already put them away. Doesn't that sound kind of funny? I mean, can you imagine you're a a 15-year-old boy and your, your mom says, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Because you've taken out the trash. Huh? Now, what is really interesting about this is it it presents this concept, okay? We're going to go a little bit theological, all right? But it presents this concept that I would say, as I've come alongside people, followers of Christ, to get this is incredibly freeing. This, This brings oftentimes this sense of relief and peace because of the struggle that so many followers of Christ have in feeling like I've been told that I'm qualified, I've been told that I'm forgiven, but I know I fall short. Okay, so if you would, take again, look at the the screen. This is a concept called sanctification, all right? So the word sanctify, okay, sanctification comes from the verb sanctify, That word, sanctify, comes from the same word as holy. Holy is like an adjective, right? And someone who is holy is called a saint. If you've been paying attention to our study in Colossians, you know we've said over and over again, we're called saints. But notice this. This describes what's called the difference between positional sanctification, and progressive sanctification. Okay, hang with me, okay? It gets really technical here, but this is so important. See, what has taken place is this, is that our position before God, remember chapter 3, verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's our position, and so our being is holy. But we're also becoming holy. You see, what this illustrates is this. If you take a look at that green line, okay, before we trust in Christ, we are guilty. We're sinful. That's us. That's who we are. 
But when we embrace Christ instantaneously, God sees us through the blood of Christ. We are holy and sinless. So let's go to the next slide. I want to show you this. This is what it means. It says, you have put off the old self. Okay? That's what he says in that verse 10. You have put off the old self, which means that you are no longer guilty, but you are instantly, because of the blood of Christ, holy and sinless in his sight. That is your position before him. Okay, so now I'm going to ask everybody in this room, everybody in this room, take a look up on the screen and identify where you are on that green line. Go ahead, please. Identify where you are on that green line. No one should have said anywhere on that vertical line. No one in this room is anywhere on that vertical line. You are either guilty and sinful because you haven't trusted Christ. Let me pause there and share with you something. Verse 6 says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, which means, essentially, it's getting real serious for a moment. It means that if you've not embraced Christ and been forgiven for him, you are still guilty and sinful. And the wrath of God is coming. You don't know when it's going to come for you when you pass from this life to the next. But you will suffer eternal separation from God. But if, but if you have been raised with Christ, you've embraced him, where are you? You're on the top. That's how God sees you. That's your position before him. Believe it. Notice this. I just took words from Colossians chapter 1 and put them on the screen. Just chapter 1. I could have kept on going and going and going. We're called saints. That's holy. We're identified as holy. We are qualified. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. We are reconciled to God. We are seen by him as holy and blameless. We are above reproach. That's who we are in Christ. So if, in fact, you are still struggling, you're going, man, I feel like I'm on the green line somewhere between the bottom and the top. Before I was talking about this, what we believe influences how we behave, uh, you probably need to spend some time on believing. You probably need to spend some time embracing what is really true, what's declared by God from his word. And maybe you need to ignore me for the rest of the time and you need to go back and read Colossians 1 and chapter 2. And then maybe you ought to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 2.10. And then maybe, you ought to, maybe you'll sit there while the service is over and you need to read Galatians. Because this stuff is true. All right, now, let's talk about the red line. That's called progressive sanctification. This is kind of like how we often feel, right? This is why he says, because you've been seated with Christ, you've been raised with Christ up here, now let's live it out. 
And he will say, put to death, therefore, put off and put on. Because the reality is that we're on that red line somewhere. So, same exercise. Take a look at that red line. What best represents you? If you're doing one of these things, you're like, oh, I can't say that because I would need to be humble. But rejoice. Rejoice. That's God's will for you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 1 or 8, 29. That's God's will for you to be growing. And the reality is that as you grow, you kind of go, I know that. I may be heading up, but I'm actually down here heading up, or I'm actually down here heading up, or I'm actually down here heading up. Because you know your own lack of holiness. But you're heading the right direction. That's fantastic. But as you head that right direction, here's my thought for you. As you become more and more like Jesus, maybe it is something that he's revealing to you that to become more like Jesus is to do the things that Jesus does. And part of that is to come alongside other people, to follow Jesus together, to help them grow. We need people who come alongside and say, I want to help make disciples. And I don't know if that's something you're like, ah, I don't think I could ever do that. It's not true. That should be what is a part of our life and our our church. So if you want to be equipped in that, you want to be encouraged with that, come talk to me and one of the pastors. We'll talk about how that can happen. But then maybe you identified yourself as coasting, struggling, or plummeting. That means probably it's a good idea for you to to find people who can encourage you and help you. Let me say it again. Following Jesus together. There's a reason we say that. Because it's so important how God is put the body of Christ together because we need each other to make that happen. Okay, now, the reason I bring that up is because there is the very real sense that all of us have that we feel like we fall short. We don't measure up. We need to embrace both of these realities, both of these truths, that I have been raised with Christ and those things are true. And Father, Lord, I want to grow in you. That's how we're going to get really practical now, okay? So, if you would, turn back to chapter 5. So, chapter 3, verse 5, sorry. And I kind of knew that we would get to this point, and I would go, oh, look what time it is, and there's a long list. (laughs) So, we're going to move a little bit fast, but hang with me. I'm trusting God's Spirit will signal to you, will help you identify if there's something specific that you need to address. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Three things out of these first five I want to highlight. Sexual immorality, impurity, and passion. Passion could be translated lust. There are three things, areas about sexual sin. Sexual immorality is 
kind of a general term that kind of encompasses sex before marriage, creating arousal outside of marriage, having sex outside of the context of your particular marriage or somebody else's particular marriage. It's from the word, listen to this, porneia, from which we get porn. Impurity is probably broader in, in most of its sense, but in this context, because it's, it's, in the, it's shadowed by or it's, it's surrounded by these two other terms, it's probably speaking of just viewing sexual, um, sexuality from the impure motives and thoughts. And finally, passion, which again could be easily uh, translated lust. Let me just stop right there. Those things are huge. I would say lust and its, and its sister to that, porn, is probably one of the two golden biggies for adult males. I'll get to the second one because it's in this list as well. So let me just make a quick illustration about this. Last week, my wife and I were planning on coming to church. I mean, this is our church. It was Sunday morning. And if you remember, there was a lot of rain like uh, during that past week, and there was a lot of rain overnight. And Sunday morning, like about 5.30 or 5.45, I'm going, ooh, there's a lot of rain. I go down to our basement, to where my, where my desk is, and I sit in my chair and put my foot down into saturated carpeting. So we never made it to church last week because we spent the next six to eight hours filling our shop vac. My wife thinks about 150 times with water and pulling back things and trying to keep, you know, damage to be getting any worse. Now, here's the issue. I knew we had flooding issues. I knew we had drainage issues. See, about a month before this, we had some bunch of rain, and I did the same thing. I went down to my, to my office, and I set my foot down and went, it's kind of wet. And we peeled some things back and got rid of some, some padding, and we dried out the carpeting. And I said, I'm going to need to deal with this. But I don't need to worry about it now. I'll deal with it a little bit later because, you know, we're going to do some remodeling in our house, and that's when, the, that's when we'll get, a, you know, a, something to throw all the trash in. So I'll take care of it later. And that's the issue men, I will say specifically to men, probably women too, that we falsely believe that this sin doesn't impact you very much. That that sin isn't impacting your relationship with either your wife or your future wife. And so I'll deal with it sometime in the future. The flood is going to come. And when it does, it's going to have devastating impact. So Paul says, put to death. Kill it. Put it to death. Stick a knife in it. Get rid of it. And the reality is if this is something you've dealt with for any length of time, you're going to need some help in this outside of just you. You need somebody else to help you deal with that. 
wow, I've got a long way to go. Okay, evil desires and covetousness. Evil desires, just kind of that idea of just kind of what am I pursuing? Covetousness, it's greed, it's wanting what somebody else has. Interestingly, he says, which is idolatry? Think about what covetous means. Is that I don't have what somebody else has and I want that. In other words, what we're saying essentially is this. Is that God, you are insufficient for what you've provided for me. That's why he says it's idolatry. You and I probably don't have on our mantle a dollar sign where in the morning we come down and we bow down to the dollar sign. But probably a lot of us bow down to the dollar sign or possessions or reputation or something. Something that somebody else has. And he says, that's idolatry. And then that's why he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But then he again moves on, verse 7. In these you once walked when you were living in them. It's almost like, okay, yes, that was kind of the reality of your, of your old life. And if they crop up again, once again, put them to death. But now you must put them all away. And he's speaking future of these, of the rest of these things. So let me just hit these really quickly. Anger. This is what I would call the second golden biggie for adult males. When I talk with um, uh, other pastors and, and younger pastors, I tell them, in our culture, this is, what I, this is what I assume. I assume that all adult males in my church have or have had in the past dealt with lust and anger. Unless proven otherwise, I'm assuming that's what they deal with. That's how we adult males deal with circumstances that don't go the way we want them to go. We respond in anger. That's generally what happens. You see, anger, okay, is of the earth put to death what is earthly. But when we're seated with Christ, we're raised with Christ, what does that look like when it comes to circumstances not going the way we want them to go? We have contentment. We have peace. We have trust. We have self-control. That's why Paul says, put that to death. What is wrath? Wrath is simply that expression towards other people when things don't go their way. Malice, slander. Slander is this idea that, you know, I've got an idea of what somebody is like. I want to make sure that you know and have that same negative opinion. Put it to death. Put it to death. And obscene talk. Obscene talk is almost like porn. When they say definition of porn, it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Obscene talk is kind of the same way. You don't know what it, you know how to define it, but you know it when you hear it, and you know it when you say it. Let me just say this way. When that, those words come out of your mouth, can you imagine Jesus saying that? And then he says this. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, that new self, so don't lie. That is not just like I left out part of the details. Lying essentially is causing somebody to believe something different than what is true and not conveniently leaving out some details. Okay, now, 
he's going to say this, and I'm going to skip this because I'm going to come back to it, this, old, uh, this idea having been renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, because I want to come down to verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. And because of other places that Paul describes, you can say male and female right here. But Christ is all and in all. And if you kind of look back, what that, what's he referring to when he says here? Or some translations might say the word where there is. Essentially, up here. Seated with Christ, where Christ is. That's where we belong. Up here, we don't view people through these earthly distinctions. Because Christ is all and in all. Okay. Second point. Don't worry. It's getting late, but we're going to move this a little more quickly. He says this then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Essentially what he's saying is put on then Christ-likeness. That's the new self. That's where he's taking us. That's where we need to go. And notice what he does once again is he, he describes us as God's chosen ones. That's where we are, holy and beloved. That's how we should view ourselves because that's what God says. But I use this term Christ-likeness because of this reason. Take, again, look at verse 10. Because we were being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay? That's the new self. That's who we are. Is being changed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What's the creator of the new image? Let's go back to verse, chapter 1, verse 16. I love this. For by him all things were created. This is Jesus in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Our new self is being recreated, renewed, to look more and more like Jesus. It comes up again, verse 13, as the Lord forgave you, the example is Jesus. Verse 15, and the peace of Christ, to look more and more like Jesus, that the word of Christ, more and more like Jesus. That's where he's taken us. So he begins to describe this idea of compassionate hearts. You can see how Christ lived that way, compassionate, of kindness, of humility. Humility is thinking rightly of who we are in the context of what it means to be raised with Christ, of meekness and of patience. And he modifies patience by saying this. What does patience look like? Patience looks like this, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. And then to make this point even stronger, to drive it home, he says, so you also, listen to this, must forgive. A Christ-like life, someone who's been raised with Christ, lives a life ready, prepared to forgive. Not holding on. Again, as been a pastor for many, many years, I've seen marriages where the husband and wife just ha- cannot find it in themselves to forgive each other. People in the church who have fought over issues could not find it in themselves to forgive each other. Maybe parents and children 
the inability to forgive each other. But remember where this is packaged, where, what it's referenced, as the Lord has forgiven you. It almost comes right back to this idea of humility. It's an understanding that who we are is because of what he has done. And just as I've been forgiven even greater sin, I've got to forgive. I must forgive. And then he says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's like, it's like the trump card to all these issues is to put on love. And what does it do? It has this impact about, about binding everything together in perfect harmony. These are relational aspects. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ, trusting, hoping, resting in. And if it, the result, obviously, is this. To which indeed you were called in one body. That body will have peace. Be united in, in that when that peace of Christ rules in our lives. And again, he says, and be thankful. We're going to find that he gives a reference to thankfulness three times in the last three verses. He says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. See, the reality is, as you looked at that red line a few minutes ago, what's going to make a difference in your life is the word of Christ dwelling in you, changing, transforming you, renewing you. But I want you to see this, that the end result is that what's going to happen in a body of Christ where there is the word of Christ dwelling is that people will be teaching and admonishing one another. It's not going to be this top-down, like the pastors are supposed to teach all of us. But no, it's this way, teaching and admonishing one another. If you want to live a kind of life that does that for other people, it's got to dwell in you richly. It's got to be a part of your lifestyle, of who you are. And then I love how this idea of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, the second reference to thankfulness. It's just an expression of, of what God has done that, that we've been raised with Christ. And that's how he kind of wraps up verse 16. And then the last point I want to make is this. I kind of title it this way. Put it into practice in everything. It's the reality of kind of going, if you put to death all these things and you put on all of these things, Christ-likeness, this is just a great way of summarizing this whole thing. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Put everything through the filter of living like Christ. Put it all through that. Just view your life. Since you've been raised with Christ, view your life as someone who just simply belongs to him and wants to reflect him. And he says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks. Third time, thanks appears in his last three verses. The word thanks, in the original, eucharizo. Anybody here from a tradition where you practiced the Eucharist? Ah, got a couple hands. That word means thanks. So it's fitting that we move to a time of giving thanks. And the reality is that if you know green line, you're here. 
it is so appropriate for us to end with giving thanks. To remember that not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did, sinless, he gave his body for us. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So you will take and eat in remembrance of Christ who has done that for you. And then you will take the cup and you will drink. This juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for you, paying for our sins so that we might be qualified, justified. We might be made alive in him. All the reason to give thanks. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And so I'm going to ask that you would pause as they and reflect and to pray. And there's really kind of two pieces to it. Because what you do with this message, and if God's called you to live differently, to, to, to repent of something that's going on in your life, to, to put to death something or put on something, it needs to be in light of who you are and what he's already done. So give thanks that he's made you his. And then declare, God, help me through the power of your spirit to live like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, just grateful for um, who you've made us to be. That we were powerless.